0: hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC podcast where we coach you in the word today we're going to look into the book of first Peter and we're going to take a look into what first Peter uh, is teaching and what he is saying and uh, I think you will enjoy it I've enjoyed uh, writing it and and uh, uh, having it uh, t- teaching it to our Wednesday night Bible class And I think you'll enjoy the content as well We want to welcome you from wherever you're downloading We pray that God's Word is blessing you as much as it is us We'd love to hear from you At Springston56 at gmail.com MikeSpringstonMinistries.com FFCMA.org Or through Family Fellowship Chapels Direct Messaging So today we're going to open the Word of God to First Peter chapter 1 And we're going to go through that chapter in the coming days on podcast. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Then let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear Son. Now, Jesus, we ask you to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. Let us know what we need to know, do, understand, and demonstrate when you do. And as you do, we'll receive it and we'll release it to your people. And from there, we'll be corrected, transformed, led, and guided into the depths of truth that will truly bring us into the knowledge and the image of you. We give you praise and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's what I want you to see here. If we begin in verse 3, Peter says that adorable is the Godhead. Blessed be the God. The Godhead is identified by Peter there in verse 3. There are two parts of the Godhead that are mentioned by name. The names of Jesus Christ are titled in full, except his position as the high priest. Now, who is uh, his? It has to be the one who was established or who established the Godhead, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy. So Peter is talking about the ones who are established in the Godhead. Why is that? Because mercy is an attribute of the glory of God that Moses saw when God revealed Himself to him on Mount Sinai. The Godhead was sent were the ones that sent the Lord Jesus Christ to beget us in him. Now what does the word beget means? It means to bear us again. That's an important word because man had already been uh, created by God or begotten by God, but Jesus Christ came to be- beget us again. Now let's identify the meaning of all of this. Man was born once by the Godhead in Genesis 1, as identified in verses 26 and 27 as being in the image of God. He was made from the dust of the earth into a living or a quickened being. Into this quickened being the Godhead breathed and he became a living soul. That means that he expressed a mind, a will, and an emotion. Man was begotten or brought into existence by a method of reproduction. In this case, it was the production of creation, and then that creation began reproducing after its own kind. The divine plan had a first Adam who was created by who bore the ability then to begat or bear again from their own body a second Adam who was begotten or reproduced, whose name was Jesus, but who was identified as God in Matthew 1 and as the Lord Jesus Christ by the angels in Luke 2 before his birth. He would beget from his actions and replications, from the divine plan of God, those who would believe on his acts and would uh, allow the Holy Spirit to replicate those works in him or her as a people that were made alive, who are delivered in to his righteousness. Now Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 said, For we are his workmanship, or we are manufactured by him, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, why am I beginning this in verse 3? Because we have been doing extensive teaching on the plan of salvation and the work of Jesus Christ, the high priest, the Lord, and the man in the Godhead. So, Peter, in verse 3, has uh, given substance to the Godhead and mention the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're looking at how these actions and, and replications of Jesus Christ came into uh, reality or manifestation. Verse 2 of Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 10 of Ephesians For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. As I mentioned, workmanship means to be manufactured. We were manufactured with the thread of a weaver who runs the thread completely through the fabric until it becomes the perfect replication of what he envisions in his thoughts. The outcome looks the same on the front as it does on the back. The back, however, reflects the work that has gone into the smooth picture that is on the front side or the outside. This action of death to life is congruent with the work of Jesus Christ. Is replicated in us by the Holy Spirit. This is the produced in us by begetting or the reproduction of Jesus Christ that's manufactured in us when we believe. Instilled in us is an expectation and a confidence that as He is, so are we in this world. If He lives in righteousness, then so do we. If he lives in a glorified body, then so will we. We must recognize and understand that the glorification of our spirit man is as eternal today as it will ever be. But a new body awaits. We must understand that if he lives, we live also. How do we live now to be as he is? Well, Our spirit and our soul are alive in the spirit. Our mortal body may die, but our spiritual body shall be like his, and we shall see him as he is, with the perfection of a spiritual body. So what is the lively hope? This has to do with the aspect of making alive that Paul referred to as quickening in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul said that the activities of the resurrection were pointed towards us with the power that it took to bring Jesus from the grave. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 and 20, look at it. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So if we know Jesus is alive and seated at his right hand, then we know that we have an alive confidence and a full expectation That we not only are alive now, but that we will also live beyond the grave. Notice, who has risen from the dead? Who is it? It's Jesus the Savior and Christ the victoriously anointed one. What a wonderful scripture for us to begin this study with. Now we look into verse 4 to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Peter now begins to tell us what all of that in verse 3 is revealing and releasing to us. We are moving into his heirship. Now, many people would look at verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1 and say, well, that is all reserved for a day and a time when we all get to heaven. Well, my friend, I want to tell you something. We won't need it all then. We won't need all of the things that Jesus Christ has provided for us by his actions and replications that began in the cross. We won't need it. We won't have any sickness there, there'll be no death, there'll be no dying, there'll be no blindness, there'll be no brokenness, there'll be no poverty, there'll be no bruising, there'll be no captivity, we'll be free from all of that. So the inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled is one that not only doesn't fade away, but it is in heaven for you and me today. The question is, the problem is, we don't know how to access it. That's what I've been preaching and teaching on here over the last couple of months. We don't know how to access what we're heir to. All of the influence of the Godhead has been released to us in the persons, names, and titles of Jesus Christ. For instance, the cross reveals healing and forgiveness. The tomb gives us the destruction of the curse. The deliverance from the region of the dam provided righteousness. All of these are done in such a way that they are replications of what Jesus Christ did here in the earth. There's nothing inherited there. There's nothing that is given to us because we are necessarily the elect. It is something that is produced in us that is brought about from us by our ability to believe Confess and profess, and so once we do, we step into the first phase of salvation, which is healing, and the forgiveness of sin. Now, I want you to bear in mind that Isaiah 53, 12 said that Jesus did something for us, and that is that he came and interceded. As the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and interceded did something on our behalf. Now the cross, the tomb, and the deliverance from hell, they're all things that we move into by our belief system. It is incumbent upon us to believe on the works of the cross, to accept. The fact that we must die with Jesus as Paul taught in Galatians 2.20 And then accept the fact that when we follow Jesus into the region of the damned And are delivered from there Our old nature is cut, eliminated Now many people propagate that all of sin come short of the glory of God As if it's the way we should be living now And some propagate the work of grace as being the mechanism that is in the now, that is so dynamic and so strong that even though you are bent to sin and your sin nature runs rampant even though you have believed in Jesus Christ, that grace is going to be the agent, the element that God has produced through Jesus Christ for you to be able to to live in open sin, but confess Him and be saved. Well, my friend, that eliminates the basic, the baseline. That eliminates the means and the method whereby man was brought into grace and into faith. We saw it in Peter's writing. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, thereby grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. You can see it right there. It's the sprinkling of the blood that brought grace and peace. We do not have a fundamental understanding in the modern Christian world about the blood. The blood is the most potent and powerful Single organism That has ever been released upon the earth From Praetorium to Calvary And into the tomb And out of the tomb The blood is the single most powerful organism Element However you want to state it That has ever been released Into the earth And watch it now into heaven The most powerful It was also released into hell because Jesus went there. It is the most, there were six major uh, things that happened on the cross. As Jesus died, the blood fell. We knew that. And everywhere the blood fell, love grew. We knew that. What a beautiful thought. But the blood is so potent That the creation of God Begin to cry out The rocks begin to cry out When the blood fell Tombs were opened The dead walked among the people In Jerusalem The veil was rent from top to bottom The most powerful thing That could ever Have been allowed to occur In the earth In heaven and in hell All came When the blood of a savior, of a sacrifice was brought out of Jesus Christ and made contact in the earth. And when it did, the earth, God's creation, began to cry out. Those that had gone before heard the sound of the blood falling into the earth and were resurrected. Tombs were opened. My God, what a powerful blood. It is the blood that is the foundation of everything that Jesus Christ has done, because without the blood there is no remission of sin. Leviticus tells us that the blood is the power of the life. Peter is telling us here that the blood that Jesus Christ sprinkled uh, uh, gave us grace and gave us peace in verse 2. The blood, my friends, the blood. We cannot get over it. We can't get around it. We can't get under it. We must come through the blood. The blood is the powerful agent that causes all of hell to be set on its ear. The blood, the blood, the blood. When Jesus did what he did at the the cross, healing and forgiveness occurred because of the blood. The tomb he destroyed the curse. Why? For the same reason. The blood. There had been a perfect sacrifice. The blood had come forth. The deliverance from the region of the dam that made him the righteousness of God. Why? The blood. All of these things came because of the blood. Then Jesus went Now, in these first three areas that were in the earth, there was no inheritance there. It was simply the power of the blood that we believed in that brought us forgiveness, took us to the tomb, and we died to our flesh nature, following Jesus into the region of the damned. We came out of there clothed in a robe of righteousness and leaving the sin nature under the blood. What a wonderful thing to know. Now we see Jesus in a place that we begin to inherit things. What is that? He goes and becomes the high priest who operates in advocacy. There, he allows us to have the ability to honor, praise, give glory, worship, and to bring our sin that we sometimes fall into and him become our advocate we inherited his advocacy what a great thing to know now listen to what peter said elect <laughs> according to the foreknowledge of god the father through sanctification of the spirit under obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of jesus grace then came to you that brought you peace So now we go from the deliverance, the resurrected into the righteousness of God, into the things that we inherit, that are undefiled. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, once he is resurrected, look what happens to an inheritance. "...that is incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away that's reserved in heaven for you." Now we come in to his advocacy, where if we sin, not when we sin, it's if we sin, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why is it if instead of when? See, we're taught in our world today it's when, when you sin. You're going to sin. You're a sinner. You're No, you're not. No, you're no longer abound in the bondage of sin. Sin has dried up. Sin's root has been cut off. You have been made free in the blood of G-Glory to God. In the blood of Jesus Christ you're made free. Total freedom. So that you can say all of yesterday is gone. Jesus talked about it in Luke 4. When he said that you become the acceptable year. The year of jubilee. When everything that was is no more. Total freedom. That's what the blood has done. Now we come into this new place. Where we have this inheritance of advocacy. We have one to defend us in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll stop right here and say this to you before I go any further. Friends, we don't know how to pray. We don't know what the prayer life consists of. We don't know how to use the name of Jesus appropriately. We don't understand what Jesus Christ has taught concerning prayer. We are still teaching in church today the modern prayer of Jesus, never understanding what he prayed And what he taught in John 14 and John 16 concerning the use of his name. In John 14 he said greater works you would do than I do and greater works than I do. In John 16 he applied the name to whatsoever. So here's what's happening whenever we come in the understanding of picking up our cross and following Jesus. We follow him by grace into the peace of his position as high priest. There we begin to pray. Let's say we have a problem. Something comes up. We do something we shouldn't. It's not something we are doing as a natural uh, daily activity, but something has come up and it has hit us and we uh, we have stepped into something we knew. Now we feel that We have been, we are wrong and that we need to repair between ourselves and God. So here's what happens. We go to Jesus and we say, In the name of Jesus, forgive me of my sin. What happens right there? Jesus immediately begins to pray for you. That's what he promised us in John 14, John 16. He said, Whatsoever you ask in my name, I'll do it. He's praying for us. He goes into prayer. And here's what he's praying. He's either praying about his advocacy, or I'll show you how he prays concerning his mediatorial office, and I'll show you how he prays concerning the office of intercessor. And these are going to be ways in prayer you've never considered, because all you've done is bow and beg, You have bowed and begged, God please, God do, God touch, God this, God that, God the other. Well, the reality, my friend, is there is a mechanism of prayer that uses the name of Jesus Christ with efficacy and with effectiveness. When the name of Jesus Christ is used appropriately, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man Who is the righteous man? He is the one that has been delivered out of the bondage of his natural sin nature. He's been delivered out of that. That's the man that becomes righteous. The man that gets saved is not a man prepared for righteousness just yet because that man hasn't died to his flesh. The man that dies to his flesh and follows Jesus into the resurrection, that's the man that is ready To pray. That's a man who will be able to pray an effectual and a fervent prayer from a heart that is righteous. Now we come to the first place where we begin to use and operate in the name of Jesus. Now someone is saying right now, well that is not what happened with the apostles. Because Jesus told them in Mark 16 to use his name. He sure did. When did that occur? After he had been the high priest who sprinkled the blood on the vessels in the sanctuary to become our advocate. After he entered into the throne room of God where while being there, he uh, was given a name above every name where he became the mediator of a better covenant. And so he returns to earth and there he says to them in John 20, breathed on them and says, peace be unto you. Now, whose ever sins you remit, they're remitted. And whoever sin you retain, they're retained. So Jesus has operated for them in the position of high priest. And he has brought them into a priesthood. Otherwise, they would have not had the opportunity to remand and remit. Now he goes into Mark 16, and he begins to teach them about using the name of Jesus. So when we, from the correct position of righteousness, use the name of Jesus, it is at that moment that we are able to call on him in advocacy. And he then is able, from the position of advocate, to plead our case in front of the Father, because we have been brought through the power of the blood and in pleading our case, the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, there we go. What happens now? The promise of God, Second Corinthians chapter 1, round 19, becomes yea and amen through the advocacy of Jesus Christ. Now, the operation of the high priest is a great thing. The operation of the high priest is something that every individual who is a Christian must understand because if not, we will lay in the cross and struggle with our sin nature. We will struggle with the single element that defeats us more often than any possible thing else and it is not the devil, it is me. I know who my battles are against. Paul said, I run not, I fight not as one that beateth the air. I know I've got to defeat me. Defeating me is the first order of business. How did Jesus make a way for us to do that? Well, at the cross we received healing. At the tomb we were preserved and our sin man, our flesh died. In the resurrection we buried the sin nature and came out of the resurrection clothed in a robe of righteousness. We were made to be righteous by the actions and replications of Jesus Christ. These are not inherited things. These are things that come through our belief system and through our following Jesus Christ. Now when we come into the operation of the high priest, we come into the operations that we begin to inherit. We inherit the use of his name. We inherit the ability to pray in his name. In his advocacy, he, at the right hand of God, the Father, on the throne, begins to advocate or plead our case based on one single thing, and it is not blood, it is not grace rather. It is not grace. It is blood. It is blood. Listen to the scripture. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience, sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then we go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Listen to this. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of grace, The reason this thing begins to materialize in an inherited fashion is because of the blood. Now, I've got much more to tell you on this, much more to talk about, but we've reached the end of this session. I want you to know that you, if you have come under the high priesthood of Jesus Christ, understanding the sprinkling of blood and the obedience that it takes to operate Uh, in that sanctified brotherhood of which Jesus has named you and been unashamed because you have come through his blood, then you have the right to begin to use the name of Jesus, and that name activates Jesus Christ in the heavenly domain. By activating him, he activates the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit begins to replicate in you what it is you're asking for. Father, I thank you for the word of God ministered to us. I pray, open our eyes that we can see. May we be a blessing. And may we come to know truth through you. And we will give you praise and honor and glory for every bit of it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ. Watch it now, Lord, who is our high priest, our Lord, our man in the Godhead. He is our advocate. He is our mediator. And he is our intercessor. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, God bless you. I'll be back with you soon to share some more from 1 Peter chapter 1. Until then, if you'll find him as Lord, he'll become... The exalted one who has every name and every tongue bowed to him and he is the mediator of the new covenant on your behalf. If you'll find him as the man in the Godhead bodily, you'll find him as intercessor and I'm going to teach you what the intercessor does. But in his intercessory position, he'll show you great and mighty things to come. May God bless you until we have the opportunity to speak again.